Now, Andrew McCarthy was just a kid from New Jersey with a dream, the dream of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro, the tallest mountain on the continent of Africa. And so, as an adult, he's a, he's a travel reporter, so he was sent to climb the mountain and report on what he saw, what he learned. It's a, it's a 26-mile hike over the course of multiple days, but it's the kind of thing that can be accomplished by somebody who's in decent shape. You don't need years of ice training or, or mountaineering experience like you would if you went to the Himalayas. And so a large team of 36 staff took this group of six to the top of Kilimanjaro. Over the course of multiple days, the, the guides lead you through that 12,000 feet of elevation so that you reach a peak of over 19,000 feet. The challenge, unlike other parts, of, which, which is true if you climb in other parts of the world, but, but the, the main challenge in climbing Kilimanjaro is the altitude and what it does to your body. The sickness. There's less danger of a, of a storm overtaking you or, or an ice slide or that kind of thing. It's, it's the sickness. It's the, it's the height. And so one of the guides gave, gave Andrew this, this instruction. He said, the, the trick to climbing Kilimanjaro, rest much, take time, go slow, eat much, humble yourself, enjoy the view. You hear it? Rest much, go slow, take your time. In a sense, that could be the kind of instructions that, that would guide us through our Christian life. Not just to get to the top of Kilimanjaro, but to, to walk a life of obedience. See, we often want a quick and immediate solution to life's problems. And yet, as we come to these psalms, we'll be reminded that, that we need to take time. We need to go slowly. We need to humble ourselves. And so, listen with me to, to Psalm 120. In many ways, it's, it's a jolting introduction to this, this collection of psalms, these psalms of ascent, because it, it immediately throws us into the chaos of life, but it's a chaos that, that we know, that we understand. Listen to the word of God, Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that as we listen to your word, as we understand your word, that you would guide us, that you would instruct us, that we would find the truth of, of living in this world, and that we would find our hope in Jesus Christ, in the rescue that you give, that you are the God who answers us. And so as we come listening to your word in this service, Lord, I pray that you would answer us. Lord, some of us walk in today with, with life's big questions on our minds, with the, the fears of uncertainty and, and frustration confronting us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us answers, that as we read your word, as we reflect on it, that we would find the truth of your gospel. 
Lord, for those of us who come feeling the, the chaos and the burden and the, the craziness of life, that we would find comfort and assurance in hearing you speak to us. Father, we need you to humble us, to help us to take time to listen, to do that now as we come to your word, as we prepare even to come to, you, to the table that, that is prepared for us, the table of, of our Savior who died for us. And so, Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. This collection of psalms is called the, the Psalms of Ascent. Ascent, going up. They are psalms that this collection would have been used three times each year. As the pilgrims, the Jewish people, were called by God three times each year to go up to Jerusalem for festivals, for religious sacrifice, to go to the temple of God. And so the, the temple, set in the Judean hillside, is a, from most points in Israel a place to which you go up. But, but really it's less about the geography and the, the topography and more about the theology. It, do, it wouldn't matter if you were on the top of Kilimanjaro, you would still go up to Jerusalem because that's the theological high point of the world. That's where God's temple is. That's where God's spirit is. That's where God is in his presence. And so the people are given these songs Songs that they would have sung on the journey. These were travelers' songs, pilgrim songs that they would sing. And, and this first one, Psalm 120, and we'll look at, at 10 of the 15 of these throughout this summer. But the first one is, is really a psalm of, that, that throws us into the chaos. And so it seems like a strange place to begin. I mean, wouldn't it make more sense, at least if I were collecting them, I, I would think, wouldn't you put a psalm at the very beginning that, that is filled with hope? It's filled with encouragement. I mean, because as you're about to begin that journey going up to Jerusalem, there's already enough chaos, isn't there? I mean, just think of what it took for you to get here today or what it takes to, to take your family on vacation, particularly if you've got little ones. I mean, the amount of time packing and getting in the car, and by the time everyone's in the car, something's been forgotten, someone's forgot, somebody needs to be unbuckled, run back in to use the bathroom. It's already chaos. But I, I think that's why we begin here, a psalm of distress. Because the... The scriptures are honest with us about our condition, that we are people who come in in the midst of a world that's broken. And while the psalm begins on a very optimistic note, a a note of answered prayer, look at verse 1. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. That's a word of hope and assurance. God answers me. Not, Not even simply a past tense, God answered me before. No, God presently answers me. But notice where the psalm ends. The psalm in verses 6 and 7 describes the living among those who, who hate peace, living among those who are for war. The psalm ends still in chaos. Because the answer to prayer, the confidence of the Christian, the confidence of the pilgrim going to God, is not simply that God can, can pull us out of chaos, but that God is with us to answer us in the midst of chaos. See, we're not simply following God because of what we've seen him do in in our immediate circumstances. It's not because God kind of waves his his magic wand and and fixes everything for us right away. No, it's that God is with us. And so the psalmist in this collection of these psalms of ascent remind us that God is with us in the chaos. And for those of us that, that are looking for quick answers, this kind of psalm can be frustrating. Because we want God to, to just say it and be done with our problems. We, we come to him in prayer. We plead with him. And we don't find quick answers. 
But, but we need to pray the way the, the psalmist prays here. The psalmist is, is crying out to God. He's living in a world of, of chaos and war, and yet he sees that God answers him. God is with him. When I call on the Lord, he answers me. Eugene Peterson, who's a, a pastor, has commented on this selection of psalms. His, his book is titled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's actually a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche, who's not known for speaking very highly of Scripture. And so, so, so Peterson purposefully, though, pulls this quote from Nietzsche to, to show that, that what we need to live a life of, of integrity, to live a life of meeting, is a long obedience in the same direction. Just keep going. How do you get to the top of Kilimanjaro? You keep going. You take your time. You rest. You keep moving. And we live in in an instant society where where we want the answer right away. You don't even now have to stop and think, oh, wait, what was the answer to that? Oh, I can't remember. No. You just pull out the magic tool in your pocket and ask it, and it gives you the answer. You don't need to remember anything. You want the answer right now. Two days of shipping? It's going to take two days to get here? That's too long. I want a drone to drop it on my porch this afternoon. I mean, we live in a, in a culture where we are impatient. And spiritually, we, we think the same thing. We look at our, our stories, our history, we look at the chaos in our lives and think, God, I need that fixed yesterday. I need that solved already. We can think of the relationships that aren't working the way we want. Relationships that have, have disintegrated over years and we think, I need that fixed right away. We look at the sin in our lives, the, the patterns of brokenness. And we pray that God would help us to overcome, and yet we want quick and easy answers. Whereas Scripture is calling us to live a life of, of pilgrimage, to live as those who, who consistently and repeatedly follow after God, who don't expect immediate solutions, but have a longer view. Yes, we can see the, the peak of the mountain, but we keep walking to get there. See, the psalmist can say that God answers prayer, but the psalmist is not looking at a change in his circumstances. Even without any of his circumstances changing, he can say, the Lord answers me. Now, when the psalmist looks around, he sees the the problems, problems which remain true for us today, even thousands of years later. Verses 2 and 3, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do? And what more besides a deceitful tongue? The psalmist recognizes that he lives in a world where, where he's being told all kinds of lies. Now, the lies that you and I hear are sometimes so close to the truth. Lies like, you are okay. I'm okay. You know, we're basically, we're basically good. Lies that, that tell us, the, here's a quick and easy solution. If, if only we could implement this system... If only we could elect this person. If only we could teach people this. If only we had enough money to solve this. We, we, we live in a world where we're looking for, for easy answers. And I'm not saying in areas of politics and education and, and societal change that, that there are any real easy answers in those things. But ultimately, there's deeper problems. Deeper problems that can't be, be fixed because the problem goes into us. We are a people of lying lips, a people of deceitful tongues. It's not only that we speak to others. It's not only that we hear from others falsehoods. It's that we speak lies to others. The psalmist describes his woe in verse 5. 
the problem. He says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Now, I had to look this up because I didn't know where Meshach or Kedar were. Meshach's in the far north of the ancient world. So kind of now northern Turkey. So you can go farther north, but not from Israel. You wouldn't have known anyone far, farther north than this. This is as far north as, as culture has ever, has ever gone. And so from as, as far north as I could go, or the, the, the tents of Kedar, those are the, the nomadic tribes in the, in the east, in, uh, in Arabia. No matter how far north I could go, no, no matter how far into the, into the wilderness I could travel, there I would still find people that are broken by the same things. I would still live among, among barbarians and Mongols. I would still be in a place where, where people are lying. But, but here, we have assurance that God is still with us. Even as we live among those that, that lie to us, even as we ourselves admit our failures, we have confidence that, that verse 1 remains true. When I call on the Lord, he answers me. Because we are looking for not just a change in our present circumstances, we acknowledge that might not change. But that doesn't mean God isn't answering, that God isn't listening. Because we're looking, as verses 3 and 4 remind us, to a, to a judgment which is still to come. The psalmist says, what will he do to you? And what more besides a deceitful tongue? So what's coming? See, it's not necessarily a change in, in fixing the fact that, that people are, are currently lying, that, that people are, are looking for war. Verse 4 tells us, He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. See, God's punishment is coming. And so how can we live in a world that's, that's filled with, with chaos, with disorder? It's because we know there is a judgment which comes. It means you and I don't have to take out personal vengeance on, on everyone who, who lies about us, on everyone who spreads false truths about us. Because we know that God is the one who punishes with the warrior sharp arrows, with the burning coals of the broom tree, with the, the hot coals from the, from the fire. God is the one who will bring the fires of judgment. And it's an awful, terrible picture of what is coming. See, while our present circumstances might not change, our future circumstances are sure to change. Because God will gain victory. God will be the one who ultimately brings judgment. But one of the commentators points out here that, that this is not merely, not merely the psalmist calling down judgment on, on the, the people of Meshach and Kedar, the people that are for war. Because verses, verse 3 is in the singular. It's as if the psalmist stops and is speaking to himself. He says, I live among these people who are liars, but, but what will he do to you, you singular? It's as if the psalmist is now acknowledging that, that confession. That yes, I can, I can point to all kinds of problems out there around me. I, I could go as, as far north as I could travel, as far east into the wilderness as I could go, and there would still be, still be turmoil. But it's because the turmoil is here, O oh, deceitful tongue. The one who sings this psalm, is one who sings with a deceitful tongue, one who knows that, that he, he perpetrates falsehood. And it, and it captures that truth that we know when we look at the world. We have been hurt by other people, and then we turn around and hurt others. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's that phrase that, that we've heard from, from 
Dr. Barbara Schaefer, a, a clinical psychologist who, who has helpfully taught us as a pastoral staff and taught us in Sunday school. I mean, it's hurt people. So if you've been hurt, hurt people, hurt people. People that have been hurt then hurt others. Because we've been broken by sin in the world, we know that we've broken others. And this isn't, and this, I, I, I'm not saying here that, well, just, just throw up your hands and say, well, whatever happens, happens. That's fine, God. Whatever injustice is in the world, we just tolerate injustice. No. If you're in a place where you're being hurt, you need to cry out to the Lord and, and come for help. Talk to a pastor. Talk to, to a deacon or deaconess. Come and find someone who can, who can offer you help. But it's also a, a humble admission that we are people that because we've been hurt, we're likely to hurt others. And so we need to come and confess to the Lord that, that we are people with deceitful tongues. And so when we look toward that punishment, which will, at the end of time, bring about radical change, when God gains full victory, we know that we are people who stand under God's judgment. And so how do we live? How do we live in a world where we, when we look around, we see chaos? When we look inward, we see deceit. How do we live? These Psalms are teaching us to live as pilgrims, to keep moving, keep moving toward God. I mean, the, the pattern for the people of, of Israel was three times each year. You're to come up to Jerusalem. Annually, you're to be reminded of this. You are to sing these songs, songs that had this, this corporate aspect, but but you can see here, this is, most of these psalms are in the first person. They're about me individually. They're songs that I can sing to remember that I need to keep moving. And really, that, that image of, of coming to God as a pilgrim, of, of living in this world, but, but this world not being our home, that's, that's a theme that's captured in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter describes the, the, the way of life of the Christian. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, this is 1 Peter 2, 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you see what Peter is saying? Live a life of persistent obedience. Why? I mean, how does he describe the church? How does he describe Christians? As aliens and strangers in the world. As pilgrims who are, who are passing through, recognizing that, that we live here in the world, but this is not my final destination. I am moving on. I am meant for something more than this. I'm meant to live in God's perfect kingdom. And so I long for that. And so it means as you face the, the sin in your own life, as the psalmist describes it, our, our deceitfulness, you continue to cry out to God. You acknowledge your sin and you keep moving toward God. It means when others harm you that, that you recognize that, that you need not take revenge on them. Yes, you can pursue justice. But it means we're not disappointed when we look around and we, and we see that, that the world is not, has not been perfected yet. It's actually our expectation that, that because we live in a world where people are just like me, broken by sin, then, then relationships are going to be broken. It means that we keep going. We keep crying out to God. We confess our sins. We move. And it means that, that we call out to the Lord in distress. I mean, often we're, we're quick to, to jump over verse 1. 
to recognize that when we find ourselves in broken places, broken by the sin of others, broken by our own sin, that we need to pray to God. We need to call out to him. And we can have confidence that God answers us. We can join with the psalmist in in singing verse 1, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Because we have heard the answer of God. Jesus himself came and lived a pilgrim life for us. Jesus, the Son of God, left the, the throne room of heaven to live as a human, to live under God's law, to live a life of perfect, persistent, perpetual obedience for us. Jesus Christ living the life we could not live. But more than that, Jesus was willing to die in our place. Jesus takes the judgment that we deserve, even though there was no deceit in him. Even though he never lied, he dies in the place of liars. I mean, actually, that's the argument that Peter makes. When Peter continues in in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter describes the suffering that, that comes to us, and he says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you hear the, the promise then that comes to us as pilgrims living in a broken world? You have a Savior who has gone before you. God answers you. You have assurance of that because God sent his son, Jesus, who died in our place. And so even in our distress... We can cry out to God. Even when our circumstances don't seem to get any better, we can trust that God is for us. We can trust that God is with us because God has answered us in Jesus Christ, and so we need to cry out to God. Captain Rupert Lonsdale was captain of the British submarine, the HMS Seal. His submarine was was laying mines but was sunk by the German Navy. They tried everything they could do to to get their submarine off the bottom of the the ocean floor, but nothing worked. And now after 23 hours submerged, they were slowly dying from the carbon dioxide building up around them. And so Lonsdale told, told his men, we've tried everything we can think of to get to the surface, but without result. None of us can think of anything else. We've run out of ideas. So I'm going to call the crew together to say some simple prayers. Our object will be to ask God to help us. Only two of the 59 men on board refused. It wasn't an order. It was a voluntary prayer meeting. And so this is how Captain Lonsdale began. We've been in some tight spots before and we've come through. With God's help, we shall do it again. I think it's time we said the Lord's Prayer together, but first I want to ask God to help us. And so Lonsdale prayed with his men, Dear God, we've tried everything in our power to save ourselves and we've failed. Yet we believe you can do things that are impossible to men. Please, O Lord, 
deliver us. And the men prayed together the Lord's Prayer. Almost immediately an idea came to the captain. Something they hadn't tried before. They, they tied a rope the length of the ship so that the men could climb to the, the bow hoping that it would be enough with the weight of the men at the front and the engines running full to, to dislodge them from the bottom of the ocean, and it did. And slowly they rose. Unfortunately, and he knew this was likely to be true, they were now in enemy waters. And so their deliverance was into the hands of their enemies. Captain Lonsdale was forced to surrender his ship to save the lives of his men. He spent the next five years as a prisoner of war. And yet, he describes this as a a picture of great rescue, that in their distress they called out to God and God answered them. Not merely because God brought them from the bottom of the sea, but because God proved his his faithfulness to Lonsdale while he was in, in prison. It gave him opportunity to proclaim the gospel among his fellow soldiers and sailors and seamen. After the war, Lonsdale Lonsdale actually stood trial because any captain who surrenders his ship is guilty. Yet Lonsdale was exonerated for he rescued his men, but he saw that God was with him, that God answered his prayer. But do you see, it's not because, his, it's not because he, was, he was delivered from his enemies. It's because God was with him in the midst of chaos. See, the answer to prayer you and I long for might, might take us out of one horrific situation, but just move us into another. And yet God is still with us. Our hope doesn't rest in our circumstances. Our hope rests in what God has done for us in the past in Jesus and what God will do in sending Jesus Again. And so we can cry out with the psalmist that when we when we cry to God in our distress, He answers me. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come as people who need you to to speak to us, and so we come, Lord, to this table to to be strengthened and encouraged. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work in us that as we gather at this table, that we would find our hope in Jesus Christ. That as we look to his work for us in the past, we would see that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. But Lord, as we long for his return, that we would find hope in the judgment that he brings. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ was judged in our place so that we might be forgiven. Lord, as we come, we ask that you would answer us. And so we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.